is October 25th, 60 days until Christmas, I should remind everybody. And today we're here at the Rockville Memorial Library in Rockville Town Center, Square. I think it's Square. And I am here today with Quan Lee. He's running for the Rockville City Council. He's sitting in front of me. We're in quiet room five where I've done a majority of my interviews with the mayoral candidates. There's only two in Rockville and there's what, Quan, like 13 of you guys running for the Rockville City? That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, historically, it's been, what, like nine, eight, nine? But, uh, but no, I make the same mistakes all the time. Square and center, I have no idea. I think it's square. We can talk about that later in this recording, in this interview. Quan, welcome for the first time to a Minor Detail podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Minor. Quan, have you done a podcast prior to this? Uh, no, this is all new, but I appreciate you inviting me doing this, Ryan. Well, absolutely. And look, as I, I was telling you offline, I, I'm glad that we could sit down and talk. And I can talk to your committee members and the other committee members that are running on the, uh, the Team Rockville slate that during the forums, you don't get a whole lot of time to speak. And you're expected to come up with an answer within 30 seconds to one minute. And then you have a closing statement that's often read or prepared. And I like the long-form discussions. That way you can unwind your policy position, your vision for Rockville. So that's what we're going to do today, as we did with the other interviews. So, Quan, before we jump directly into our discussion on policy, I really want to learn more about you and your background and history. So tell me about yourself. I understand you're a first-generation American citizen. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm what you call like a parachute child. Yeah, so I came here when I was four, um, Where from? Taiwan, okay. and my mom pretty much uh, brought me to America on a tourist visa, and next day she was gone, and she left me with her brother, so my uncle, in California. Uh, I was pretty much a troubled child growing up, you know, got into a lot of fights in school, so after a year, my uncle was like, there's no way I can take care of this kid. So he uh, shipped me to New Jersey to live with my aunt when I was five. Um, and <laughs> after a year, same result. Um, ultimately, my uh, grandparents came in and they pretty much said, hey, you gotta, you gotta, yeah, pretty much. They gave me that spiel and they're like, you're gonna be going back to Taiwan <laughs> if you don't figure, figure this out. And so, after that, I did like a 180 and started, you know, just being a, a more settled a child. Um, but I think in general, those experiences in life made me mature earlier than, than expected. Uh, my grandparents didn't speak English, so since six, I was like, you know, I picked up English pretty quick. And, but six, since six, I translated for them. Um, and once I was able to read uh, letters from the government, like Social Security or whatnot, uh, that's what I did for them. Um, so, so the first generation American. Do you remember your journey into this country at all? I know you were four years old, but do you have a, a, a recollection of that memory? I do. It's very vivid because, again, I got. Uh, I was a pretty, you know, troubled child. Um, got into fights, and I can remember, you know, even today, uh, when I got kicked out of school two times, four years old and five years old, and the principal sitting me down and. Literally, he sat me down in front of like a bunch of kids and said, you know, he, he said, you know, how come you can't be like these kids? Um, 
And I understood that just being in America for a year, I was able to understand English well enough. Um, but I just remember that um, it was it was rough. It was rough. I was, um, you know, as a kid, you don't, you can't really comprehend what's going on. But I know just reflecting that I would not have been a good friend to anyone. <laughs> Oh man! So I moved over thirty times, and since I came to U.S. when I was four, and um, you know, backing up back to when I was in California and, and Jersey, I would move to California after my grand after I started living with my grandparents. They would move once a year uh, to be with either their son in California or their daughters in Jersey. So every year I would move to my grandparents. And I would change schools every year um, until my grandfather passed away when I was in high school. Uh, after high school, went to undergrad in California. Then I went to a mass, getting a master's in, in Connecticut. Um, at, shortly after that, I went to get a JD in Penn State. So I was in Pennsylvania. Um, then I went to practice law in Florida where I got my license uh, and I did that for a while before um, I came to D.C. to get my LLM in uh, international trade law at GW. Uh, did that for a year and then eventually got into Social Security. Uh, lived in Alexandria for, or rented in Alexandria for three years. Um, and then by that time, I was ready to settle and buy a house. So looked around the greater Washington area decide where I wanted to raise family and Rockville was the place because it was only the it was one of the few metro accessible place where there was still a balance between residential commercial and green space and so I work in Crystal City um, I didn't want to live there given <laughs> that it was not very uh, I didn't feel like it was a very uh, family oriented uh, environment to raise kids so I decided you know what I can commute twice a week down to Crystal City, and today is one of those commute days. That's why uh, it was. Uh, do you go in early? I do. I I get up. Uh, so I've been up since 4:30 today. Uh, so you get off early then. It's like three o'clock. Yeah, to beat, try to beat the traffic. Okay. But still, I always hit, still hit the tail end of it um, before you know. You, take, you ever take the metro? I tr so so it depends on the day. Um, some days I, I do if, when I uh, can get up early enough, and some days I'm like, got to sleep that 30 minutes, and then I end up having to drive down there. Yeah, but you're right about the traffic yesterday. My wife and I were over at a doctor's appointment in Northern Virginia, so we left our house for a 7 a.m. doctor's appointment about 6 o'clock, and we, we surprisingly got there uh, within 40 minutes or so in Fairfax. But I, I know that to work in Reston, and I know that commute very well, and especially when you're stuck on right around that American Legion Bridge, it always bottlenecks, and then once you get over into Northern Virginia, you, you get to the traffic point in Tyson's, and then it stops again. So I, I feel your pain on that one. And so now you're a practicing attorney. You work for the Social Security Administration. And what, what's your job there? What's your role there? What do you 
what kind of law do you practice and what do you do for them? And other than make sure that we get paid our, our social security. Well, so I, uh, we, we do more of quality checks on our administrative law judge throughout the country. Um, our judges issued decisions um, on certain social security programs and we essentially audit their decisions to make sure that they're in compliance with our rules and regulations. So, uh, and then we make policies. Um, and if there's any certain judges that aren't following policies, uh, we report them. And, um, you know, it's, that's why I said that I tell people that uh, we do s some form of fraud, waste, and abuse prevention. Uh, to save tax dollars, um, to make well, sure that, right. yeah. And that can certainly be applied to your work on the city council because, listen, there's nothing more that people appreciate when you can say, here's how I'm going to save you money. Here's how I can get you a better value for your goods and services, and we're not going to have to raise taxes. So I, I applaud that work because we, there's lots of ways to fraud and abuse inside of our, our government. Guys like you are, are looking out for it. So you're the fiscal watchdog. So, so you are, this, is this your first time running for public office? Is, yeah. Okay. And you decided to join the Rockville Forward. Tell me about that. Tell me about that process of deciding how to run. And I, I specifically remember an article, which I believe it was in Bethesda Bee. And you were also, I believe, in talks with the, the, the Team Rockville, correct? With, with joining their candidate committee. And I remember reading that you had walked, you went over there and then they had asked you to, to sign a policy statement. Is, but the other, the team members are actually disputing that. Were you asked to sign that policy statement for them? Yeah, so um, they were, so pretty much when I was, got involved with the city of uh, Rockville um, and started volunteering, I mean, all the council, the mayor and council were very kind to me. I've been, you know, friends with them. I, I consider them friends. Um, but ultimately, when I chose which, um, which side, so to speak, of uh, development, growth, I agree with. I chose, uh, I agree more with uh, Mayor Newton's uh, position on how, development should be managed. Um, I just didn't think that density would resolve the issues that our, the city are facing. We need to make sure that the existing infrastructures are in place before um, essentially uh, should, should be moving along with development. Um, so I think to me, that was a deciding point between both, uh, essentially, slates. Yeah, and being the first time that you're running, of course, uh, I, I'd imagine that you, you walk into that room thinking you might join this candidate committee, but you decided that the Rockville Forward was the, the better candidate committee that aligns with your values. So we have these two committees that are running, and they each have a mayoral candidate. Your, your team slate has the, the current mayor who's running for re-election. And so I'm, I'm interested to hear from you directly about how the candidate committees, how they differ on specific policies. 
and you mentioned housing affordability. So let's jump into that issue. Mm -hmm. Tell me about, uh, you talked about density, and currently uh, there's, there's so many different opinions on what to do to, to ensure that people can live in the city of Rockville affordably, right? You want people to come move here, raise a family, send them to public schools or wherever they choose, and to, to live here for hopefully the rest of their lives, contribute to this local economy. But you've got to be able to afford the housing, the houses. So tell me about your thoughts on the affordability. So my understanding on affordability is that when a developer uh, you know, decides to build some residential areas, they get a contractor uh, you know, to build it. And really, that, they're the one who really sets the cost of it. Um, so if you look at the Yelp 10 right now, right, it's like, what, 2,700 per, mo per month? It's, it's ridiculous. I, I don't think that's, I mean, when I was living in Alexandria, uh, one bedroom, um, you know, I rented one house, or not a house, but a room in the house one with, house yeah, yeah, with other military uh, renters. Um, it was $600, and that to me was affordable, uh, you know, given a government salary. Um, but I just think that, I think the only way right now, uh, from what I see is the MPDU program being ex expanded. If those are, if that's the population we're trying to help, those who can't pay pay two thousand seven hundred dollars a month. I mean, think about that. I grew up in Western Maryland. I grew mm. up in Hagerstown. Right. That's a mortgage for a relatively nice. I mean, maybe a three thousand square foot home in Hagerstown, sixty five miles away. That's unbelievable for, and you're talking about an apartment, correct? Yeah. yeah. Who can afford that? No one can afford that. And, and that's the thing is I don't believe density will lower, make those, uh, you know, the landlord decide to, you know what, now we, gotta, we can move down the rent price to 2000 I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and here's why. is because I really believe that a lot of the demand are coming from, uh, you know, foreign exchange students coming in um, and they come in with a lot of wealth. So the demand isn't simply U.S. citizens or our kids. It's there's demands coming out from outside U.S. And so unless we're going to close our borders, there's constantly, I mean, Montgomery, uh, Montgomery College has a bunch of foreign exchange students. Um, and Well, here's what I can tell you. Um, I'm pretty connected with the Chinese American community in general. And here in Rockville, we have a heavy population where a lot of them are uh, born outside of the U.S. A third of Rockville population is born outside of the U.S. And I know these people, and they come with a lot of wealth. Like, uh, I mean, China, their economic boon has... You've you read the stories, they, and so that's the demand that's coming in. So the more you build, they're just gonna you know more that demand is still there. It's still gonna keep the cost up, and so again, if we really want to help 
the quote unquote are you know kids who we, we think you know want to stay here and they qualify uh, for certain requirements under this MPDU program that we might can, might expand to them. I think that's really the only way. Um, so, I mean, maybe also redevelop some of the areas. That could be another possibility. But I don't believe allowing developers build more houses to increase density will simply drive the cost of those rent prices down. I just don't believe that's going to happen. Uh, in fact, there's a development across Bambridge, um, and it's it was a CarMax that they moved onto Shady Grove. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's still, it's, they were approved to build stuff there, but they haven't even groundbreaking yet. It's still CarMax cars still there. I, you know, I, last time I checked was, was uh, last year, um, and the rationale for them was that, and this is because I was on King Farm External Affairs Committee, I was, the rationale for that developer was that Bambridge wasn't filling up. So why should we risk building, you know, another apartment um, area? So the other evening, I think it was Wednesday evening, I was there, and I was at the King Farm Forum that was moderated by Mark Silverstein. And I thought it was a, an excellent forum. I thought that it was well done, and the, the moderator kept the candidates moving, and it was 6.30 to 8, and boy, he got you guys out of there before 8 o'clock. You are part of the King Farm neighborhood, so talk to me about what's important to your neighborhood. What are your residents and what are your neighbors and friends concerned about with, with respect to, to the county or perhaps some development issues or maybe even education? I think one of the main concerns, or I wouldn't say concerns, but one of, they really want the farmstead to be, you know, figure out what exactly is going to be done with that property. Uh, especially my area where I live. I actually live uh, like two streets down from the farmstead. So uh, I know my, na my neighbors, immediate neighbors, are uh, really hoping that something gets resolved there. Uh, but they want to make sure that the parking is addressed and the ingress, egress uh, is made sure that it's on um, 355 and not going through Ridgemont or Picard um, or as a grand champion. Yeah, I see the King Farm neighborhood as, I, I think I see it as a more of a, a residential, but of course you have a, a main thoroughfare right through the neighborhood. And look, the King Farm, I, I, I really like what they have done with it, and I'll tell you why. It reminds me much of the Kentlands. It reminds me so much, and I live close to the Kentlands. Um, my wife and I have thought about moving there, but we, we found a, a really valuable, uh, I guess, a, we could fit that within our price group where we are now. We actually moved last year from North Potomac over to Gaithersburg, so I, I've been very happy with where we live. And although all the candidates try to recruit me to move back to New Rock to move into Rockville, so I'm not there yet, but, I mean, you know, we look at the farm. It, the townhomes there are wonderful. I, I mean, I'm telling you, there's so much there. Are you concerned with the flow of traffic? And this could, this could bring us into a new conversation about what's going to happen with Interstate 270. Are you concerned about an increase in flow in traffic? Should 270 be widened as the governor wants to do? Oh, I don't support widening it. I don't think... You mentioned that the other night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, you, you hit the spot. I mean, that's actually one of the things that have driven King Farm 
folks out and move to Cantlands. In fact, I know to, yeah, to cut through. The cut through is what's uh, really upsetting people and just um, like Redland, uh, Gaithers, those are really heavy uh, roads are, you know, um, constant cars going, going through and they're not, they're not driving at residential, residential speed. Um, So King Farm did not want CCT to cut through King Farm Boulevard, but it wasn't that we outright didn't want CCT. I think it would have been good if we went, it went straight all the way to Shady Grove and then, you know, wherever it goes up all the way to Gillespie. Sorry, for people who don't know what the acronym CCT stands for, what does that mean? Um, City Quarter Transit, I believe, yeah. And so, but the initial plan was to when they connected all the way to Shady Grove Metro, it was going to go sh- cut through King Farm Boulevard, and they're going to create some sort of bridge, um, I think, yeah, bridge across to uh, the other side or something like that. But, but it's actually better if they just went up to Shady Grove and went down Shady Grove so they don't have to, to spend money on the extra you know, bridge costs. I think it would, I think it would destroy the community itself. I think that, um, like I said in the last uh, debate, I said that I walk my dog on King Fun Boulevard twice a day, and I can tell you the amount of kids who cross from the north side of King Farm to the south side to go to King Farm Village Center, and the kids from the south side of King Farm uh, going up to Stepanic Park, and they sometimes they don't even look at you know cars either direction they just skateboard right across and just imagine that now you create you know a bus transportation there and multiple cars going back and forth i mean i would be as a parent i would be like don't go across that or that street anymore and that would just really divide the, the community into two so Something similar to that, right? It's like 
They're actually a, a 501c3. They're, they're kind of their own entity. Um, and it's started by um, Bob Silva and Jim Groof. Um, they were there to, they pretty much did everything. I've, I've helped out. And I, so what, what happened was that when I moved to King Farm, uh, I was planning to move my grandmother, who was still living at that time, to live with me. And so I was exploring services and place in our city. And so I remember attending RSI, Rockville Seniors, Inc., and going to the Rockville Community Center to see what kind of services they provide. And that's how I actually got to know the president of King Farm at that time, Gail Sherman, who was very involved with our city and the senior issues. And so she put me in touch with the King Farm neighbor village group that was just starting at that time. And so I attended um, a few of their meetings. And um, at the end of, or somewhere in 2017, they they did a survey and kind of helped out on what questions to ask and what kind of different services that people might want. Um, and what kind of services that volunteers can provide. And so kind of helped them brainstorm, but um, eventually I was volunteering for the Rockville Financial Advisory Board. I was um, helping establish the second sister city with, uh, with Elon City, Taiwan, in Rockville. And I want to know more about that. Did you go and visit? Did you go back? To, did you go to Taiwan and, and then work with uh, that city that sister city mean? When I grew up in Hagerstown, we had a sister city of, of Basel, Germany. And I've never been there, but maybe one of these days I'll have to visit. So tell me about that initiative. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to hear about that. Yeah, so Rockville has one, had one sister city for 62 years, and it's still growing strong with Pinneberg, Germany. Okay. And, many, many, and most Rockville residents know about that one. Yeah, I see the sign uh, out uh, uh, coming into Rockville about yeah. the so in 2017, uh, when I was starting to get involved with the Rockville, city of Rockville, someone spotted me and they were like, you know, we're really interested in, in how we can engage with the Asian American population here in Rockville. And I was like, well, you got this. And, and, and so it was this, this sister city group that asked me that. And I was like, well, can you explain to me what the sister city is? And, and I was like, you know what, I can, I can probably help you with that. So in 2017, I submitted, or I, I approached the Asian American community here in Rockville, explained what these kind of cultural activities the city does through the sister city. And they were like, yeah, we would love to do something like that. So I pretty much took what was existing, this, the existing Asian American community here with this uh, initiative for diversity and inclusion that's in the city. And I you know, submitted a proposal on behalf of this community, um, helped them form a nonprofit um, organization to show. So the, one of the requirements to go through this process, it's not an easy process. Creating a sister city isn't like, you know, here, you know, let's create one. You have to show that you're serious, you have the manpower, you have everything that, uh, you have the volunteerism, the participation that's gonna hold the sister city or cultural exchange activity for years to come. And so I created this nonprofit uh, for, uh, for this group. Um, 
And after two years, we did the bubble, Taiwan Bubble Tea Festival here in town center that attracted many, uh, almost like a thousand residents to come and participate. Um, and then you came over from Taiwan? Uh, yeah, so we had performers coming from over from Taiwan. Uh, we had 40 uh, volunteers within Rockville who, you know, again, it's that Asian American community that they wanted to bring active. I was able to activate that. And so they volunteered, did a, a cultural exchange or cultural event activity for the city of Rockville. Um, and we created also a delegation to Taiwan um, la or this March. And the Taiwan themselves had a delegation come to Rockville in May, and ultimately the mayor came in July to, to sign the formal agreement. Um, the best part is that last week, Richard Montgomery Jazz Band went over to Taiwan to not only represent city of Rockville, but they represent United States of America um, culture music. Did you have any process in that? Did you help orchestrate that in any way? And did you go on that trip? Well, I could because I was campaigning. <laughs> But I, I highly recommend everyone to go and check out Richard Montgomery Jazz Band, their website and their Twitter page. Amazing photos. I wish I was there. I wish everyone I asked to check it out and they looked at it and they're like, we wish we were there. They even, uh, Dr. Perry, the instructor, uh, music instructor for Richard Montgomery um, Jazz Band, did uh, blog posts every day and explain it take a look at it amazing but yeah I had so what happened was when the mayor came over to sign I connected them with um, Richard Montgomery Jasmine uh, actually I should thank the principal Damon Monteleone I believe is his name for um, being open to allowing us to connect the uh, Taiwan delegation with Richard Montgomery High School um, kids but um, again, uh, 10 students went over. They had a blast. I want to ask you a question. Seeing America as, you're, as a first-generation American, it, there's, there's nothing more emotional and touching and important that I've seen in my lifetime than watching naturalization ceremonies. And I think, it's, I think everybody should watch at least one to understand what that means for the people, not only standing in that room, but as observers and spectators, it, it, it will literally bring you chills. And this country was created that with a set of values where everybody was welcome. But in the last you know, several years, I, I see this, this growing, I, I would say, anger towards immigrants and, 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 our, and our friends and like Gaithersburg and Rockville one. And I, I, I have to ask myself why? Why are people angry? Why are you why are immigrants being targeted? Why is our country, you know, why is certain decisions at the national level being made to you know, exclude people? Tell me your experiences as a first generation American and you know, with family members who didn't speak English, because that to me is, is so important to have diversity in local government. Talk to me about that. 
Yeah, well, thanks for that question, Ryan. That really touches really to the heart of uh, why I do a lot of what I do. And so it really gave me this opportunity to explain this. I think that there's this, uh, again, this is why I don't like partisanship in our city government, but um, because of partisanship, people have these political agendas, so they start spreading xenophobia um, and fear. And one of the things that they, I believe it's fake news is the, is uh, just painting somehow illegal immigrants as criminals. Um, I think in general, there's always people who will commit crime in whatever population, it, you know, whether you're legal, illegal, it doesn't matter. It's, there's always going to be, um, as And I appreciate that, uh, Ryan, for emphasizing that because I, like I said, I came on tourist visa and I don't want to say it, but that can give you a hint of where I stand <laughs> um, and um, my experience. Um, so my, I myself, look, I'm not, I'm not someone who, in fact, as someone who has been or let's just say undocumented at one point in my life. Now I'm a productive a citizen, I'm a productive U.S. American citizen, um, running for city council, hoping to better our country, our city. And so instead of highlighting what those few illegal undocumented folks, why not highlight many of those who were like that and became successful and contributed to the American society? Still, nonetheless, alarming, and there was, of course, a whole other side that were 
welcoming and inclusive. And I, 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 I want your opinion on, on that. Do you remember that rally? And I don't know if you attended the other side. I think most people, a lot of people, stayed away from that just because it was going to be volatile and it was going to be ugly. And I saw some ugly things that I wish I had not seen, but it's what happened. Oh, Ron, yeah, I, since I'm, I'm campaigning, I decide to uh, personally stay out of it. Um, I do. So if I wasn't running, I might have joined it. Um, but here's the thing. I, if Rockville was a partisan election, it was, you know, party affiliated. There's, you know, party or it was partisan government. Yeah, it's non-partisan. Yeah, I would, I would in a heartbeat support certain positions. But, you know, as an attorney, you know, sometimes we were taught to defend certain positions that we might not be wholly supportive of, uh, or we're not defend, but like not engage in certain things that we might be zealous about. Uh, like for example, you know, you know about public defenders, right? They have to defend the criminals, but how you know, we are taught to put our personal feelings and emotion to make sure that we uphold the integrity of our system. And so as an attorney, that's how, what I have been doing in this nonpartisan election is that I have a lot of partisan views on these things, but I've been taught that I need to respect the integrity, um, the purpose, uh, the value of a nonpartisan election, and kind of when I feel like, okay, I'm, this is more partisanizing this uh, particular process, I rather th I feel like maybe we should I should stay out of it, and that's that's the thing that I've always been telling uh, when I go canvas with folks is when they ask me for my position on certain partisan issues, or they would say, "What party do you do you belong with?" I say, "Look, you know, I I'm uh, <laughs> here's my story. You can probably guess where I side with, but I have to leave out. I'm going to leave out those feelings." because I really believe in a nonpartisan election. I believe we should be focused on development issues, on our infrastructure issues, and not use the city government as a political tool for either side. And a, and a political stepping stone or a political mouthpiece or megaphone. Agreed, you are, as a city councilman, you will be doing municipal issues. And sometimes it's mundane, sometimes it, it is excruciatingly boring. I, I don't think it's boring. I'm very much, I, I love municipal government. But the municipal government has never been intended to be used as a partisan weapon. And look, just moving slightly to a different topic, this campaign has felt especially uncivil in some ways. And they talked about civility the other night at the, at the forum. Have you noticed some of that, and have, have you tried to, obviously you seem like you have avoided that, and, but are you discouraged that this, uh, this campaign has, you know, there's level, levels of accusation, again, of racism, for instance, against one of your colleagues who you're running alongside with on Rockville Forward, and it just seems like municipal elections shouldn't get ugly, and this election, I think, has gotten unfortunately up. Well, first of all, and I can sp this is speaking from personal experience. I've known Beryl for three years, and in my time with her, 
I've not seen anything of what she is accused of at all. I think that it's unnecessary to, for people to do that. I mean, we are all better than that. And I think that what drives people to do that, in my opinion, is instead of wanting to win, they become a mentality of they must win. And when you must win rather than if you want win, I think your own personal integrity is now compromised. Um, I think that people should do their best in their campaign, and but ultimately don't feel like it's you know a life or death situation for not winning. I I hope I win, Ryan. But if I don't win, life will go on. I will have things to do, and maybe I'll join you in this podcast. You know. <laughs> I'm actually a very pro-environment person, um, and I, my number one priority would be preserving the, as much green space. I think those concepts are great. Um, I, will, I would entertain those ideas if the residents all come out and I see, you know, what I'm seeing is people rallying and wanting that. Um, but for me personally, at this juncture, I would prioritize preserving green space um, and to make sure that, again, if, if preserving the green space is going to cost an arm and a leg on the city's tax, you know, the tax dollars, then yeah, I'm not going to, that's a huge factor. And I'm not going to be like, okay, well, let's, you know, s increase tax for it to preserve. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make a, re a re sound decision, an informed decision. Um, but at this time, based on what I know, um, is that I will prioritize preserving as much green space as possible. You know, I think it's 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 doing okay. I you know some people I know. Do you think there's room for improvement? I, so here's one thing. So the city is actually 
implementing a system where it tracks, it better tracks the efficiency and the time they respond to services. Uh, so for example, one project I've been working on with the, on the financial advisory board is performance measures. And to make it more, and I have to thank, you know, shout out to Jack Kelly, who has been the one who's been pushing for it within the financial advisory board. Um, but he, he really uh, taught me the importance of how these performance measures can prove the efficiency of government. And so in the past, for historically, you know, for example, has the service of city of Rockville been good or bad? Yes or no, or something like that. Or yes, you know, good as, you know, you can say good or is it bad? And you really don't know exactly what that means, right? But now, hopefully, with these new systems, you can say you can change the performance measure to be has the city responded to the issue within three days or have they resolved the issue within a week? Now you're able to quantify it. So instead of good or bad, you can now be efficient. And, and through that, you can see, track down, oh, which particular areas aren't responding appropriately and now you can focus on okay let's improve this area improve that so so i think through that we are hoping to save taxpayer dollars and be more efficient in our allocation of costs I'm a supporter of the Rockville neighbor, uh, the village movement. Um, I, so like I said in the beginning of this podcast or early on, I was involved with the King Farm neighbor village. And, and just to give the listeners an idea of what a neighbor village is, is that it really is neighbors helping neighbors. Either you don't have to. So the whole concept started up in Beacon Hill up in, I believe, New York or is it in Connecticut? Boston, that's it. And it's, it was for folks to age in place, right? But over time, it expanded to even those who were, let's say, persons with disability and they needed assistance from neighbors. And it, bring, it brings neighbors closer because someone who's, let's say, 80 and they have a hard time getting their mail or going to groceries, well, their neighbors... There might be a neighbor who's like, okay, I can pick up groceries and pick it up for you. Or those who are older and don't want to leave their house, but they want company. And so neighbors would go over there to their place and kind of interact with them, right? So avoid those isolation, self-isolation we see in the uh, senior community. And or they can help read mail, help fill out ballots. <laughs> um, yes. But... Oh, it has to be in by 11, or the 5th by 8 p.m. So if it's postmarked on the 5th, it doesn't count because they might get it on the 6th. That's right. So. If it arrives the next day, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it doesn't matter. Get it in. Um, 
have a, and think about if a voter is sitting on the lines, they're listening to this, and they're just not sure, yet they may have three candidates for the city council picked out, and they're struggling with their fourth pick, and I'm not saying you would be that fourth pick, but rather, if, if you had the opportunity to speak to them directly and convince them that you were the better candidate, what would be your pitch to them? What's your final pitch as you take on the last a week and a half of this journey? So I've proven that I can, or demonstrated, that I'm able to bring in uh, the underrepresented community. Um, in my case, I've demonstrated I was able to kind of build a bridge between the Asian American community here in Rockville with our local government and get them uh, motivated and be more of a participant in our process. In fact, a lot of them for the first time participated in this election and learned about what a nonpartisan election is. Um, and, you know, Ryan, later on, I can give you multiple links of the Asian American um, media outlets. There's like many of them, but I've been able to get them all to write about Rockville's nonpartisan election to educate the overall Asian American uh, population here in the greater Washington area and understand, you know, what a nonpartisan is versus partisan elections. And so... And also as an immigrant, I understand what it's like to, the challenges of assimilation in American culture. And with this knowledge, I hope that I can, as a city council member, to build bridges to other underrepresented communities, such as the Hispanic community, um, and even you know the, the African uh, community. I'm talking about the first generation. Um, I, in fact, I met a Nigerian family uh, down in North Farm, and I was talking to them how, you know, is, I was talking to them, I was like, is there a Nigerian, uh, uh, you know, association here or gathering? They're like, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know what, we could, we should do something about that where you can, we can create like a cultural committee with different, different um, specific sub, uh, you know, s committees of like a Nigerian culture community or the, uh, Indian uh, community, and so that we can build bridges through these communities and these local government. So when they have these cultural activities, we know what's going on with their community. They know what's going on with our local um, government, and we can you know work together. Um, and that's that's what the sister city um, has done is that they connected that Asian community with our our. Um, our government, um, and I think we can do that with the other uh, other f immigration community or immigrant communities in Rockville. Well, Juan Lee, uh, running for Rockville City Council, you can check him out online at kwanleeforrockville.com. Again, that's the number four Rockville. And Juan, best of luck to you as you finish this journey for the next couple of days, couple of weeks. I'm sure you have a lot more doors to knock, and I appreciate your time and for joining a minor detail podcast for the first time. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and thanks again for doing the show. Thank you so much for doing this, Ryan.